Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. So welcome back from vacation, and I'm, my apologies, uh, King Henry has retired. I'm sure there's mourning going on in the Thake household. King Henry? Who's King Henry? Henrik Lundqvist. Oh, I know. Isn't that his nickname? Henrik, I guess. Yeah, it's disappointing, but no Stanley Cup for him. I have signed pucks from him, actually within reach right here in a signed jersey. One of the pucks is from the Stanley Cup he actually played in. We didn't get very far. <laughs> <laughs> well, so welcome back. So welcome back anyways. It's a- Yeah, you, you cheated on me last week. Hey, uh, well, so for those who don't see our planning messages, he volunteered to find someone to come sit on the show with me, so. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't um, had a chance to listen to it yet, but um, I've got a nice drive later on today, so I will plug that in and have a listen this afternoon. Yeah, it was great to have uh, Come on and then fill your role there. And actually, uh, similar to this week, I, I couldn't find much Microsoft news last week. And I told him, well, he did some digging and found something. So he not only did he sit, <laughs> he brought stuff to the table. So that's the perfect kind of guest, right? Who can bring goods. Yeah, right. he, he brought it's an appetizer more, to share. More than what I do. <laughs> it's more than what I do with the news section, for sure. <laughs> hey, Jeremy, what Microsoft news is there this week? <laughs> We're all on vacation, apparently. It's been very quiet this week. Um, it's probably been my, my lightest week of meetings and lightest week of an inbox. I had a week off and I only had like 400 mail in my inbox. I will say culturally, one thing that is really frustrating is, you know, although I had my oof on, uh, my out of office, uh, people were still IMing me on Teams. And I just like Teams is instant messaging. It's not asynchronous. And so it kind of was annoying that people were pinging me. And so I came back to more than 40 different messages I had to kind of like either just ignore and mark as read and hope they'll come back to me, which is usually my play with email, just for those that know, which is very typical of Microsoft. And so, yeah, it was interesting to see that Teams has now become this asynchronous thing as well as an instant thing. Well, I never considered it instant, but that may just be the culture of me being an old guy who doesn't <laughs> march to everyone's drama, march to my own. But yeah, it certainly is a struggle. It was a good week. Uh, a highlight of the week was asking Scarlett what sh animal she was most looking forward to at the zoo. And it was a giraffe, which led me to believe that uh, maybe I wear too much Microsoft Graph merch <laughs> when I'm at home. Now nah, we'll blame Nicola for wearing the costume. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a probably, it's a bit sublimable for her that says too many giraffes in my office. Yeah. That's, that's great. So, so the news you found this week was pretty much all SharePoint. Yeah, the, I think they returned from vacation a week before the rest of the world here. But uh, <laughs> two of them this week from Marcus Muller. So thanks, Marcus, again for for giving us content to talk about. Uh, and one which is really cool. The first I've seen quite in the wild. He's talking about accessing SharePoint sites with resource specific consent through Microsoft Graph. So uh, for the, I know we've had Nick Kramer on it to talk about it in the context of Teams and it works a certain way, but SharePoint's a little odd, a little different. Well, I shouldn't say it's odd. It's different because they have other, other legacy constraints to work around, but um, <laughs> nice to see Marcus go through and walk through the steps of what you have to do and, and get it working. Um, key thing though, you need app, a part, you need like a controlling app that has godlike permissions in order to set up resource specifics for your regular app. So keep that in mind as you're walking through. 
Yeah, it, it is a little bit different. Like, there's a few different ways we do this. And I must admit, I, I don't like the fact we have a few different ways. I think the team's model is the cleanest, but they have the benefit that essentially, you know, if you deploy via the store and as part of the manifest of the store, you say what permissions you want and it scopes to whatever team it gets installed into, the app gets installed into. Whereas with the resource-specific consent for SharePoint right now, Basically, there is a, a permission level that you need to say, I want this app to have access to these sites using a site selected permission scope. And so it does allow you to have an app that only has permissions to three or four site collections and not all 50,000 within a tenant. So it does tick a box, but it is slightly different from a on deployment time. The app has access to wherever it was deployed to. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Remember, T- Teams was born out of Azure Active Directory groups, and so it, right. interacting with Azure Active Directory has been there forever, whereas SharePoint has had resource-specific consent forever because you go to AppBridge New and you type <laughs> in the magic XML and it and it works, right? So Ta-da. I think that I, I, I totally get it. So, But I mean, my point is it's good to see uh, another example out there of folks doing it. So. Yeah, and... And the explanation that Marcus has done around the Azure function and deploying it and that function, like having that limited scope is great. So it's nice to see the code get out there. So thank you, Marcus, for doing that. Um, and he had a follow-on uh, post talking about, uh, so you have this magic Azure function that does all kinds of good things, right? But maybe we don't want that being called by all kinds of folks. So he talks about how to restrict calling that Azure function uh, using the Azure Active Directory identity provider built into the function framework up in Azure. So he's got some screenshots and walk through the steps. The, it used to be called Easy Auth. I think they've kind of gotten away from calling it that, but you can configure the function app in the cloud to only work for certain people and or apps configured in your directory. And so he has those steps in there as well. So to make sure that not only do you have it easy for folks to install SharePoint and do what they want, you have it, you don't make it easy for them to do what they're not supposed to do. So awesome. Yeah. And, and Marcus has gone as far as sharing like the, the access token that comes back to highlight the things that are in context of some of that restricted use. Um, which is great. And, and, you know, just as a recommendation, you really should be doing this if you're having SBFX web parts and so forth calling to APIs like this so that they aren't exposed and used by other things because it's extremely easy to sniff traffic and find these things. And if you can restrict it, uh, it's definitely safer from an enterprise scenario to do that. And especially so if you're an ISV in a multi-tenant world, you should definitely be doing it too. Yes. So thanks, Marcus, for for certainly doing all of that stuff. Moving on to an interesting call that I don't know how many people think this is a good way to do things, but uh, Arjun Menon, and I apologize for mispronouncing that name like I always do, he actually looks, looks like he sniffed the traffic happening in your browser of how to add multiple users to a SharePoint group in a single API call. He walks through the steps on how to go through to do this, kind of like how the people picker does if you want to modify site permissions and you add six or seven people and you click save behind the scenes as opposed to an eight endpoint that I've not seen documented anywhere. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but you know what? It's in the, it's, uh, this happens, you know, you put stuff in the internet and it works. My fist is in my mouth right now and yet I'm still talking. Uh, this is a great example of where we should just do this right on the graph and not have people doing this directly on a SharePoint.com API endpoint that's undocumented. And he, to his credit, uh, yeah, uh, or their credit, I uh, they do highlight that 
you know, with power comes caveats. Uh, it is undocumented. This could change. So I would not rely on <laughs> yes. this uh, whatsoever um, because we do have a habit of changing these, what we call internal APIs um, on major releases of things. And so uh, please use the graph and use batching and do it that way. Thank you. But it is good to see. Yeah, but this does, this does. So I kind of threw this on here just to get the conversation started. So and plus, you said there's you know there's certain PMs who listen. So hopefully, one of them can help us. <laughs> I am just actively writing an email to a certain PM of like, <laughs> should we be promoting this on PMP blog? The SharePoint access for communication sites is not necessarily tied to an Azure Active Directory group. I know if I have teamified a site or if I've created a team and, and the correlated SharePoint site behind the scenes, the membership is controlled through Azure Active Directory. I don't think that's the case in communication sites though. So even if I do this on the graph, we may not necessarily accomplish the end goals. Maybe I need to write a, an extension for my community library, but then I'd be using an unsupported API. So we have, we're have we back to chasing our tails. So, but anyways, but my point is a nice blog. If you're trying to solve this problem, here's an approach with the caveats, as mentioned, you might be on your own. Yeah, at your own peril. Da, da, da. <laughs> Um, moving on, I have another blog post from Sudharsan, and I'm not even going to attempt his last name. My apologies again, but... Um, he has an example of using a TypeScript NPM package from PMP logging to actually log to the console, which I'm guessing is your browser console. So a little helpful. Obviously, uh, it, it, this isn't enterprise ready if I need to track something going on. But certainly if I want to, during development, want to see stuff happening or if my users are sophisticated enough to look in the logs and tell me what's going on, um, helpful stuff in there. So thanks for... Uh, for some logging information stuff. Yeah, that's actually pretty clever. I, I do like the idea of being able to do that to see what's going on under the covers. I didn't realize that SPFX had that hook, so that's neat. Yeah, yeah, because there's all kind of, I, I, I stumbled on this because I was logging stuff and I couldn't find it with all the yeah, other chatter yeah. in the logs. And I was, there's gotta be a better way. And that's so, neat. So yeah, I found that, so. And the last one I had, which is not directly SharePoint related, but uh, just today, Elio Struve posted, what is the Viva Connections extensibility story? I'm, I'm sorry, demystifying the Viva Connection extensibility model. I was called a subhead there, but this has been confusing to everyone I talk to who's not a developer when it comes to Viva Connections. So Elio has laid out what the names of these things are, and if you're a developer, what that really means that you can do, including screenshots from the beta. So thanks, Elio, for helping clear that up. And, and there was a long thread on the Twitters about this, and hopefully the, the messaging will be cleaned up as it gets closer to GA, but nice to have that out there. Yeah, that is really cool. And I too am a little confused, quite honestly, uh, with the card and adaptive card when it comes to this. So um, I think it's great when people like this like Elio and so forth, blog with their opinions because I think it does start off a good healthy discussion. But th And this went to Twitter and it went internally in email too, I believe. So we do listen is probably one of the points we should make. Like if you are questioning whether you should blog something or not or raising stuff on social or in forums, we, you know, there are often some very healthy discussions that happen based on opinions that come either, not just from MVPs like Elio, but also from, you know, all developers that are out there that we all watch and monitor for opinions on things. 
Yeah, and I'm glad to be able to add a microphone to some of these issues. So if you find things, at mention us on Twitter or, or yeah. reach out in some fashion. We'll try to get to the bottom of it. Obviously, we can't change everything right day one, but at least having the, the, the communication. For example, these multiple users to a group, it just highlights a need that's out there in the wild. And so that kind of adds some weight to Talking of our listeners, I wonder whether they're seeing your tweets where you at mention that they were mentioned at the beginning of the show or whether they actually listen to the show directly and then say thanks for being included. Oh, I'm sure everyone listens to the show. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and if they do listen to the show, uh, the anchor here is, is that can you please go on your favorite podcast app and rate us? Because I just literally looked and no one has added a review for the show for the best part of three years. And I'm pretty sure while you're driving right now, you can add a little reminder via Siri, or maybe you can try this, Siri, add reminder to rate Microsoft 365 podcast when I arrive home. Okay. We'll maybe see. that worked. Maybe that activated on their phones. But it would be wonderful to see a few more reviews. Like, uh, agreed. And so this week is the last of our, uh, <laughs> it's our SP Fest <laughs> interviews. <laughs> With Sean McDonough, and Sean is a jack of all trades. That's Paul's term, not his. Uh, when it comes to SharePoint, Sean's been in the space for quite some time, doing admin work, development work. I know he uh, he, he supports a lot of folks with their streaming videos. He's uh, an expert in Plex and has shared plenty of tips and tricks that I've since forgotten. But anyway, Sean was in town, so we sat down to talk about how to improve performance in SharePoint sites. And at first, I said, I asked him what session he's doing. He told me he's doing his performance. And I'm like, well, why even bother to in the cloud? Oh, well, there's things that you can do in the cloud to help your performance. So, of course, that meant stick a microphone in front of them and get him uh, get him on recording. So, thanks so much, Sean, for doing that. It was great to see you, and and I uh, look forward to getting together soon enough. And uh, that'll do it for this week. And uh, we'll chat next time, buddy. Yeah, thanks. Have a good weekend, man. So this week on the show, I am delighted to welcome Sean McDonough uh, at SharePoint Fest. Uh, Sean's here this week, and so I bopped in, and he agreed to listen to me and talk to us for a half hour. So thanks, Sean, for coming on. Sure thing. Will you give a formal introduction, or at least of who you are and what you do? Well, my mother was, and my father was, <laughs> yeah. It's, um, my name is Sean McDonough. I am a consultant with Bitstream Foundry, a small company I started up uh, seven or eight years ago. I'm based out of the Cincinnati, Ohio area. Uh, which made it pretty convenient here for SharePoint Fest Chicago. It's about a five-hour drive when the traffic cooperates. I tend to uh, do independent consulting, and that's what I've largely been focused on for the the duration of time I've had my LLC. Um, I tend to work in areas uh, like uh, building intranets, and in particular, I work with uh, Akumina intranets, which, you know, if SharePoint's a niche topic, Akumina is a niche to that. So I've been doing a lot of work with them. I do a lot of PowerShell scripting to get you know things done, configuration changes made. I tend to be something of a switch hitter in that I have one foot in the dev world, another foot in the IT pro world. And that's kind of out of necessity. And like many folks who've been doing SharePoint, uh, I think as long as Paul and I have, you tend to develop some admin chops, whether you want to or not. The uh, It's been nice. It has some beautiful side effects and that it lets me, you know, expense uh, networking equipment, tell my wife I need new hardware for the basement. Uh, oftentimes it's after a lot of cursing because I really do need new hardware for the basement, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. So I do that. I also, um, personal area that I'm really concerned about and that I, I would say have more passionate about is um, 
performance of SharePoint environments and uh, performance of SharePoint sites in particular. Uh, prior to SharePoint Online, it was with on-prem and it had a large focus in the caching area, different caching capabilities built into SharePoint. Now that we're talking SharePoint Online, the game has changed because we can't leverage these server-side caches and multi-tenant environments. So we look at more towards what standard web pages use, things like content delivery networks, um, different choices uh, that we might make for our sites, like uh, a lot of people don't understand the effect that structural navigation has on performance and things like that. But I meet regularly uh, with Scott Stewart at Microsoft, the senior program manager. I, I, I don't know what his official title is. He's told me several times, <laughs> but uh, it's somewhat in flux. And But I think of him as the plumbing guy. Um, he's the one who's you know making all sorts of changes and releasing tools quietly, but that make a very big difference for people using SharePoint online and, uh, and their overall satisfaction with it. Uh, yes, and, and this performance topic is what caught my eye th this week because, you know, developers get requirements from off we go and we figure stuff out and navigation has always historically been one of the issues. So that's that's nice for for this audience to say, hey, what what should we be doing right to help, right? But And, and performance, it's interesting you say the performance in SharePoint online could be improved because I'm thinking, oh, I just click a page and add stuff and off I go and it just works. So so let's start with just a, with a basic or I shouldn't say basic, but let's start with this from this developer angle, right? So if I'm, I'm a developer and I'm going to sit down and do SPFX or, and or whatever, what kinds of things do I need to look for to make sure that I don't impact my users in a, in a bad fashion? It's a great question. The nice thing is Microsoft um, over year over the years, you know, as SharePoint Online, we, we started with BPOS, which was you know running on duct tape and bailing twine, <laughs> but we formally got SharePoint Online. The tenants uh, have ev evolved quite a bit, and in that time, especially more recently, we've seen a lot of good guidance coming out of Microsoft to help folks who are trying to build uh, SharePoint Online sites. I will float a URL out to your listeners. The one that you want to have that is going to make all the difference in the world is ak.ms slash portal health. If you go to that URL, what you will get is essentially uh, your, an entry point into building um, high performance sites that are going to be future proof and, and leverage best of breed, best practice sort of uh, design. But in terms of just developers alone, the one mistake that developers, and this is, I think, less so nowadays because, you know, we, we've talked about this before where the modern web stack and the people coming to SharePoint aren't necessarily traditional SharePoint developers. You know, I can say full trust solution now, and some people might look at me cross-eyed. <laughs> they don't know that I'm talking about writing code on the server. It's a, a foreign concept to them. But back in the day when SharePoint was purely on-premises, a well-configured SharePoint environment could mask and hide a lot of bad development. We took the bandwidth we had for granted and we took the latency we had for granted. And so if I wrote something that was less than performant, it might run just fine for my user base because I, you know, you know, you have a gigabit on your backbone, you've got, you know, sub 10 millisecond latency on the internal network and you can do everything. The problem is now that we're out in the cloud environment and everybody's either, you know, going across an express route, an express route connection or out through the Internet, the cost of those bad decisions gets paid more readily 
and more heavily than they used to. So something that might not have been a good idea back in the on-prem days, we use those kind of techniques now in the cloud world and suddenly performance is really, really lagging. And that is probably the first, if you're an old developer, you're in the cloud now, you need a different way of developing and you need to think about different things. And this does require some element of uh, savviness in terms of, you know, if you didn't know what networking was, how networks worked as a developer, you used to be able to get away with it without worrying about it. But now you actually have to think about, do I want to make lots of little requests to SharePoint online or do I just want to try and make one big request? You know, what is the net effect of that? And that question is actually very easy. Overwhelmingly, we want to bundle things as much as possible. And in terms of development tools now with SharePoint framework, the modern web stack, those sorts of things, we can bundle our JavaScript resources. We can minify files, create sprite sheets where we transfer multiple images in a single file, those sorts of things, because it's easier to do that. It's better for performance because you pay latency once. If you think about this, this is the the idea of filling in a hole, either doing it a wheelbarrow at a time or with a dump truck. You're getting the dirt from the same place, but if I'm with a wheelbarrow, I'm making a trip back and forth to the source of the dirt. I pay that cost every time. Whereas if I just put everything in the dump truck, I back it up once, I pay the cost of making that trip once, and therefore uh, I get better performance out of my site. Those are the sorts of things, and you know we can talk about many different areas, but that ak.ms slash portal health entry point is a great place to start. And the other tool that is a complement to all of this is called the page diagnostic tool for SharePoint. Have you used that? I don't you they don't let me do front end development all that much, so I really not well. <laughs> oh, versed that's with a it. crime. I am aware that it exists. <laughs> But uh, so that I'm glad you brought it up. I'd love for you to tell me how I should be using it to, to when they do let me write code to make sure I get it right. Sure. Yeah, this is um, so the page diagnostics tool for SharePoint was created. Um, I want to say it's back in the 2018 time frame. Uh, that's actually when I met Scott Stewart uh, because he approached me. Uh, this is back when the SharePoint conferences restarted. And we were in Vegas that uh, initially. I went, I presented at that conference and I asked Scott to co-present with me. And that was the point at which the page diagnostics tool was introduced. Now that was version 1.0 of the tool, was very rough. It only profiled classic pages. Uh, This is at a time when modern was still, you know, starting to get some traction, but not everybody did it. We were still working to fill the gaps. And the page diagnostics tool, what it is, is it's a browser extension, ironically, initially only available for Google Chrome. <laughs> they had every intention of bringing it out for Edge. You know, now that Edge is on Chromium, it ported over pretty well. So we're on version 2.1.4 with uh, 2.1.5 coming along just to introduce some additional um, fixes. But what that tool does is you install it as a browser extension. You give it the rights to um, kind of look at your traffic and whatnot. And then when you go out to a SharePoint online site, you get a button to pull up the tool and you say, start profiling my site. And you click the start button. It's going to request a page from SharePoint, um, have the required dialogue to necessary to you know fully bring the page and its dependent resources into the browser. What it does is it captures that entire dialogue for each of the, the requests that are made in the stream. And it takes a look at it. 
and uses things like uh, values on some HTTP headers that get responded, uh, they get returned, looks at the sizes of your images, looks at the type of web parts you're using, because uh, certain web parts, you know, anything that's a legacy web part uh, is going to take server cycles for, you know, to do its work because that's how they worked. Uh, some are some are not bad. Some are horrific, like the content by query web part that generates all sorts of traffic and SQL calls. Anybody who, for whatever reason, I don't even want to think about it, but if you're using like the XSLT web part, that ends up doing an entire XML transformation on the server, that's not a good use of server resources, um, but those sorts of things. So, you know, what is the, what are your web parts doing? Uh, how large are your images? Are they over what Microsoft considers to be the threshold? Um, number of requests going back and forth. So it looks at all of these characteristics and what it does is it gives you stoplight colors on several different things that it measures. So, you know, you might be fine on things like page weight, um, the use of um, appropriately sized images. You've got the right number of requests go back, go back and forth, but you don't have CDN, content delivery network enabled. And that's, you know, something like that is a great way to learn about things you should be doing because the tool will evaluate your page run its rules and when it's giving you the feedback that tool has a link for each piece of feedback it gives you that goes immediately to the relevant uh, article or point on docs uh, microsoft docs and you get immediate you can just basically see how it makes that decision uh, the rule runs what you can do to remediate it uh, as well as higher level guidance on a strategy you should probably use. You might be able to fix your one problem at the time, but it's more systemic, different strategies you can use. And so that's what the whole tool does. And that tool, it's important for another reason, because anyone who's been on SharePoint online for any length of time probably has a classic SharePoint site at the root of their tenant. Now, if you want to do a root site swap and you're in an organization with 10,000 or more licenses, you need a clean bill of health through the page diagnostics tool before you can run a site swap. So it behooves everyone pretty much to get familiar with that tool. There are many things we can learn as end users, as developers, as IT pros, uh, and it's free. Microsoft maintains it, uh, still available for Chrome, uh, now for Edge, the new Edge. And um, like I said, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it sounds a lot like uh, the, the F11 developer tools that we would know, most of us are already familiar with, but then geared with specific guidance around SharePoint specifically uh, exactly. to do that. Yeah. Um, so, so I didn't know about that tool. I thought you were referring to that. I can do a magic keystroke of some kind and show in the bottom of the page the SPFX. Oh yeah, the, uh, the, the, the Control F12. I think yeah, it is. yeah. That's so. I'm glad. I'm glad to learn about that. And so when I when I'm doing SharePoint development now and and the SPFX tool chain takes care of the webpack for me and the mm -hmm. so I'm really not worried so much about those or should I be or I'm not sure if, if you have a, a, any opinion on should I be tweaking those and try optimizing those bundles or do you think that that's good enough and I should focus on other areas my opinion and I'll be completely upfront here I've done very little SharePoint framework uh, development work I'm actually using a modern uh, tool stack as I work with Akumina because they've actually integrated with that. But I've done only a little bit of React. Um, I've worked with the tool chain, built components, written a couple remedial 
uh, yeah, I'll say remedial, not even simple, remedial uh, SharePoint framework components. Uh, so that's not necessarily an area I've got great familiarity with, but um, generally speaking, the engineering of the dev tools and the stack, it's good enough. Uh, in fact, the dev tools themselves were ahead of much of the guidance that's documented right now because uh, the example of the CDN, the content delivery network, anything you would build in SharePoint framework would already deploy public components to a CDN. And those components would become available to you, even unbeknownst to you. You don't even have to look at the, you know, the tool to do any sort of configuration. It's just you set this up in the, the config area and it gets pushed appropriately. So they're building uh, that kind of guidance into the tool set. Which is good to hear because I think, you know, we focus enough on trying to get the, the job done, having to worry about all these other yeah. stuff that can certainly get in the way. And and now the other thing I remember back in the day, uh, uh, and users would think it'd be great to have everything I could ever dream of on my homepage and thousands <laughs> and thousands of web parts. It's always seen that way, right? Oh, yeah. Do we still have those kinds of concerns even though we're in SharePoint Online and we're running client-side JavaScript? We have them and that, you know, that's going to generate more page weight and typically result in the loading of more images and sorts of things. So those sorts of rules will cover it. You know, the idea, uh, the old web part problem where it, people would close web parts and not delete them. We don't have that with SharePoint Framework because everything, there's nothing running on the server uh, other than the necessary shim code to make pages render and things. But it's a situation that I think has largely resolved itself because a SharePoint framework component is just JavaScript of a different flavor uh, running on your page. If you're using classic web parts, well, yeah, if you're using any of the older style server-based web parts, you've still got that, I need to close it out. I not, not, not close it out, but I need to delete it because even closed web parts contribute to page load. But... Um, I think it's kind of hard to find those classic web parts in the gallery these days still. I mean, I'm sure there's still a few there, but uh, I haven't run across them recently. <laughs> yeah. In fact, in many cases, I've had to actually explicitly add a, a few of them back uh, just to be able to do things. But yeah, anybody, you know, nowadays, if you're working in a modern site that, you know, isn't actually a, a conversion site from classic, but started out modern and has been modern the whole time, you're, you're in a really good scenario because... Content delivery networks, Microsoft, you know, Scott has done a lot of stuff behind the scenes to enable performance enhancements for people without them needing to do anything. Now, the guidance they have out there, and I've, I've got this on my blog, I talk about it as well, uh, SharePointInterface.com, but CDNs, they make this recommendation that you use public and private CDNs. At a very least, as long as you're not in a, like a GCC high tenant where unfortunately they don't have access to CDNs, but enabling it for public components is safe across the board. And for most people, private stuff is just fine too. Even if you've got like GDPR restrictions and they have to expire the data more readily, there are mechanisms to do that with private cache. But Scott, you know, he, they've got uh, a couple of PowerShell commands out there that are part of the... Uh, SharePoint PowerShell pack. They're, uh, they're also in the PMP. PMP has its own way of doing this as well. And that's to turn off public-private both for your tenant. It's easy to do. It's one step. But going forward, Scott, I think this is rolling out at this point. They are going to enable public CDNs for everybody it can be enabled for simply because the performance enhancement is very 
high and you don't end up in a situation where you know you come to regret it's like object caching in sharepoint when they started caching the content query web part results going from they turned it on in 2010 it wasn't on by default in 2007 so it's one of those sorts of changes and that makes a dramatic difference well and i think uh, you know as microsoft is hosting the service anything they can do to get a cdn involved is helpful and, and just on a, a tangent note to that uh, recently in one of my developer tenants i've noticed that uh, going to the sharepoint app catalog i got an orange banner it says the cdn can improve performance because obviously it's a you know, developer tenant it's just me i'm not going to worry why do i launch nice. powershell for that right I I don't care, but so it's certain uh, they're starting to push that push that's coming through. But um, some now, if if I can, larger organizations aren't necessarily putting all of their stuff in SharePoint packages and then shoving it into SharePoint. They might have their own web servers or Azure CDN. So, do, do you run into that a lot? Do you just find those as being a performance bottleneck if they're done incorrectly, or what's your experience in that area? Um, it really varies uh, case by case because. You know, if you've got another application server that's contributing to the overall data page being rendered, the, the user SharePoint experience, uh, and they're aware that it's coming from somewhere else, you know, let, let's take a provider hosted add-in. You know, you've got another application server out there. User doesn't necessarily know about it, but, you know, they're making calls across to that. That tends, in my experience, and it's just my experience, but SharePoint you know, we're finally at the point where we're overcoming so many years of people going, SharePoint sucks, hmm. SharePoint performance is horrible, SharePoint doesn't obey web standards. If you have looked at the master page and looked at all the di the, the tables that are being used for positioning, and it's, it's you know, we're finally at the point where, my goodness, we've got a, a responsive environment, looks good on mobile, performance is really good, and I think we're still fighting the reputation battle. I think our performance is on par with <laughs> where many other probably platforms have been for years now. It really comes down to the technology that's being used on the other application server or the other environment. Uh, I had a woman uh, in one of my sessions this week. Um, they're trying to convert off of Cold Fusion. I mean, they're still using Cold Fusion, and it's you know I feel for her. I, I you know I've been involved in migrations from 2007 out to SharePoint Online and. It's just a world of difference. So performance-wise, I, I think we're doing okay. Um, those other application servers, it's largely going to depend on what they're running, what they're trying to do. Um, those same concepts, though, I'm thinking we, we certainly want to argue, make uh, bundles as small as possible. Oh, absolutely, or, yeah. Or caching, right? Or just bundle. <laughs> Minify, you know? Yeah. Plenty of JavaScripts, you know, you can cut 70% of the size off of them with good minification. All right, and so now what other, again, remember we have the developer audience, but mm -hmm. is, there, is there some PowerShell commands that we should be running to, to check on our tenant health? Is there something that we can be doing that's breaking it or is it really hands off? I don't, I don't, it's, it's kind of a different world in the cloud and my perception is, well, Microsoft is hosting it. I don't have to think about it, but I'm guessing maybe I should be thinking about some things. Right? Well, yeah, it's, it's less thinking about and worrying about the tenant um, because, you, you know, implicit in all of this is that you've got a tenant admin who knows what they're doing and knows how their switches and configuration works. I know that's not always the case, but I go in with that approach. Uh, and if I find anything, that tends to be, you know, a conversation starter. Um, so I wouldn't worry about the tenant. Now, one thing I did talk about during uh, my session a short time ago was 
there are many other problems in your environment which can make SharePoint look like it's got a problem. I've got a five-minute performance uh, guide on my blog. And it's, it's a very popular article, but what I do is talk about uh, taking a handful of parameters that get returned. And luckily, those parameters, I, we used to have to go and use the F12 debugging tools, pick them off of the, the page response headers. But the page diagnostics tool gives us that information. What we can do is take those numbers, plug them into an equation, and based on what comes out of that equation, we can determine, are we having a problem with slow performance on SharePoint? Are we having a problem with a network in our environment? So, you know, this is, again, that whole idea of we're working in the cloud now. It's not a direct connection between my browser and the SharePoint web front end. I might have to go through a an authenticating web proxy. I might have some routing around my organization before I even get out to the internet. All of these things, slow DNS lookups, they all contribute to the perception the user is going to have for um, what it's taking to load the page. And that one, the N one DNS lookups alone, that can make everything in your environment look slow. And those services may be performing just fine, but DNS lookups are, are slow. And, um, but if you run this equation that I've, uh, I've made available to folks and, you know, crunch the numbers, you can at least wet the finger, put it in the wind and say, I need to talk to my network team or, no, there really is something wrong with my page, at which point the page diagnostics tool will usually tell you something. So that's the reactive way to deal with it. But prescriptively, there, there's definitely more guidance we could go through. I don't know if you want to try and dive into that or. <laughs> well, so uh, at this point, the, the, they're cleaning up the, the, the conference center, so we'll certainly wrap it up. But uh, so the portal health page will certainly need to go to, and the diagnostic tool, uh, yeah. two great tips. AK.ms slash portal health and page diagnostics tool for SharePoint. And we'll put a link into Sean's blog in the blog post as well. And just uh, thanks for taking the time out uh, to come sit with us. It's great to catch up again. And, Absolutely. Uh, look forward to meeting again in person. Yeah, in person for sure. for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 